Tonight we are in the book of Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. We begin at verse 10. Now tonight we see our Lord's compassion and we're going to see the gospel. And both of these are so important for us. We can easily forget people's pain as we come to worship. Tonight we are going to look at a lady who faithfully came to the synagogue to worship for 18 years when she was not able to move herself. According to what a number of the medical people say with this text, she had a bone fusion of the spine and it wasn't straight and she couldn't bend and she couldn't move herself based on what the text tells us. It was hard to get to worship. It was painful to get to worship. It may have been discouraging to get to worship since we would think she probably had asked for many, many years for God to heal her and she was still unable to move. Makes me wonder if the people even saw her anymore. Or if she had just become invisible over the years. You know what I mean by that? I don't mean, obviously. I mean the fact that you just don't see her anymore. People walk in. Oh yeah, that's so and so. Throughout the years, we have had people in the church that I was in when I was growing up, we had people with different difficulties and it just got to where I didn't see their difficulties anymore. And I never thought about how hard it was for them to get there. I didn't think about the effort that it took to get to church. I just, oh yeah, that's so-and-so. So tonight we're going to look at a lady who had been coming to the synagogue for 18 years faithfully and had had no healing. We don't really know if she knew who Jesus Christ was before this day. We're going to look at two parables tonight. These two parables are parables of the power of the gospel and the importance of responding to the gospel when you can. <clears throat> and we're also going to look at the sorrow that our Lord had of people that didn't respond to the gospel. So let's look, first of all, the power of the gospel over the ravages of sin, verses 10 through 17. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. Let that settle in for just a moment. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite. 
Doth not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed. And all the people rejoiced for all the wondrous, glorious things that were done by him. I want you to notice the power of the gospel over the ravages of sin. First of all, in verse 11, verse 12, and in verse 16, we find the spirit of adversity. We see that he talks about Satan hath bound this woman. This lady was sick. In the New Testament, it was usually assumed that if there was a sickness, there was a spiritual problem behind it, such as the one that was born blind, and people said, oh, who was it? Did this guy sin or did his parents sin? Sadly, in our society today, we have totally removed the spiritual side from physical side effects. Used to be that pastors were always allowed into a hospital just like a doctor would be allowed into a hospital because they realized there's always a spiritual side effect as well as a physical side effect. We're beginning to see in our society today where doctors are omnipotent and doctors can handle everything and there is no spiritual side to this. In fact, they kind of roll their eyes at it. They still give me access, but they don't really recognize what's happening. And we're seeing illnesses today that doctors don't know what to do with because they've forgotten. There are spiritual side effects. There are spiritual ramifications and battles that are going on. So Jesus just said, this, here was this lady who had a spirit of infirmity. And as this spirit of infirmity, we see that the key here, this lady is dominated and is being destroyed by a deformity. There is... I'll just, I'll mention it. In this, the commentators are split. Did this lady really have a demon in her or was she being damaged by what Satan does to people? And the only reason why they, they question it is, you know, the, the text says that she had a spirit of infirmity and thou art loosed from thine infirmity, which sure appears that then there was some kind of demonic activity going on here. And then he says, Satan hath bound her. The other side is, is that throughout the New Testament, you never find that Jesus touches someone who is possessed with a demon. Jesus just casts the one out. So you can have your opinion on which you think it is. It doesn't change what, what he's teaching us. But I just want to be transparent with you so that as you're reading it, all of a sudden you don't know my pastor said this, but the text, we really don't know. We just know what the text says, Okay. I want you to notice, first of all, there was a spirit of infirmity. The lady was sick. The lady was dominated. It's Satan's desire to always bind. That's really important. Anytime you see sickness here in this world, you just need to understand that we live in a sin-sick world because of Satan. God never designed us to have to live in this world. God never designed us to go through death. God didn't want us to go through that separation. That's only because of sin. It's not a direct sin necessarily today that you've done that all of a sudden you are, you are killed. But because we live in a sinful world, it's going to happen. I want you to notice not only the spirit of infirmity, but I want you to notice our Lord's deliverance in verse 12. He calls her to him. Here's the lady who could not move. 
Don't you find that interesting that Jesus said, hey, come here. Why did he say come here? She couldn't get up and come. It already told us that in the text. Could in no wise lift up herself. And Jesus says, I see you, come. Why does Jesus do that? Because Jesus was demonstrating to everyone there what she could not do. Remember, this is an object lesson for everyone here. He cares for this lady, but he cares not only for her physical well-being, but for her spiritual well-being. And God, look, Jesus looks at her, and he reaches out to her and says, Come, because he wanted the people to see her inability. And Jesus heals her by a spoken word and by a touch. I want you to notice her response in verse 13. Jesus laid his hands on her. Immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. She became flexible and she also, something had changed inside her and she praised God. Notice the synagogue ruler's response in verse 14. He responded in indignation and he said, get your miracles on the right days. If you're going to get healed, do it on six days. You got six days to get healed. What a crazy statement. Where was she supposed to go on those other six days? This guy's been there. She's been there 18 years. He could have gone and healed her any of those 18 years, couldn't he have? And he couldn't. That's why Jesus calls him on and said, you're a hypocrite. But you notice he argues from the lesser to the greater. He says, you guys take your cattle out on Sunday to make sure that they're taken care of. And in fact, you know, they weren't allowed to hold the bucket when, when the cattle was drinking out of it. But they could get the water for the cattle because you didn't want to violate the Sabbath. Now, some would say this was not life-threatening. In fact, that's what this guy was pointing to. And he was saying, therefore, she should have been healed on a Monday or a Sunday through a Friday. But the reality is this. This was a defeat of Satan. This was a victory. This is the thing that all of us are looking forward to, the Sabbath day of rest coming, that we have this Sabbath of rest coming where we will no longer be in this battle and the victory will be totally completed. Now, we know the victory is, is secure, the victory is complete, but we are in this process of daily battles. And the lesson from this lady is God cares about those who are hurting. And this showed the victory over Satan, and we should rejoice in the liberation that God brings. We ought to be rejoicing every Sunday for the liberation that God brings. When people come in, they ought to be able to recognize what a unique Unique thing that's taken place in our lives. What a wonderful thing that's taken place. You know, so often, I'm hoping you've not gone through this mindset, but I've been around the mindset where I gotta get to church. Someone's got a flat tire. And instead of stopping and helping the person who can't go, we leave them because I gotta get to church. Rather than saying, wait, this is my opportunity. This may be my opportunity to show the love of Christ and maybe to meet a spiritual need as well as a physical need. So we see the hypocrisy that's there and we see the importance for us. I want us to move on and look at verses 18 through 23 and I want us to not only see the power of the gospel over sin and the ravages of sin, but I want you to see the power of God in small things. Now in this text, you're going to see a mustard seed, you're going to see leaven, and you're going to see a small gate. So let's look at a small seed first. Then he said, unto what is the kingdom of God like, and whereunto shall I resemble it? 
It's like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And there said unto him, Lord, are there few that will be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter it and shall not be able. Now, I'm going to pause there for just a moment, and I want you to notice here a couple things. First of all, he doesn't, he doesn't really draw attention to the size of the seed. He doesn't really draw attention to the size of the leaven. He, he mentions a straight gate, a small gate. But I want you to notice in each of the things, what's he talking about? Now, again, I'm going to pause for just a moment. I'm going to tell you, some commentators think that these are all negative illustrations of the church. Some believe they are positive. Some of the people that believe these are negative illustrations of the church are men that I greatly respect. And I greatly disagree with them on this text. Because Jesus is saying, I want you to notice something about the kingdom. First of all, the mustard seed. He doesn't focus on the seed. He talks about the power that comes out of the seed. He talks about this great tree. Now, a mustard seed really would be a bush, but one that has grown well is going to be 10 to 12 feet tall. That's why it talks about it being branches. It talks about it being a tree. Second of all, it talks about the fowl of the air that are coming. Now, we could be saying these are vultures and these are ones that are coming to snatch away the seed. I believe the illustration that the Jewish people would have recognized would come from the book of Daniel, where with Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, if you remember, there was this great tree and all the birds from all over came, talking about all the nations. I believe it's talking about all nations will be coming to the gospel and there is room for all. Then he immediately switches and talks about leaven. And again, leaven is not something often is talked about negatively in the Bible, but there's no negative connotation here. All the point of leaven is just this. It takes a little bit and it will work its way through the whole thing. It's very powerful. It goes through the whole group. And then he talks about the straight gate. Same thing again. He's saying, they say, and in Jewish culture, they believed that all Jews, except for the really bad ones, go to heaven. Eventually, they're all going to get their works figured out, and they're all going to get to heaven. So they asked him this question. So are there only going to be a few, talking about the Jews, talking about the people they knew, are just going to be a few go to heaven? And the answer was, you need to enter into the straight gate. Now, last week we had studied the very beginning of this chapter, and you remember it talked about um, the, uh, those that were killed by, by Herod, and then it talked about those that um, were killed by the wall falling on them, and what was Jesus' response? Jesus didn't talk about how bad those people were. He said, look, all of us are going to die. You need to be ready to die. As you look at this, he talks about the straight gate, and he says, it's very important that you enter in, that you enter in now. You need to be prepared to enter in. Why? Because there's coming a day, and I stopped reading. Had we kept reading, he would have said, because when he goes in and when the owner closes the gate, no one gets in afterwards. There is not a second chance. It's pointed unto men wants to die. All of us have this life to make our choices, but after this life, your decision's made. But Lord, we've eaten with you. Lord, we've done these different things. And he says, no, no, I don't know you. 
You notice through this whole passage, you see the compassion of Jesus Christ. You see the gospel that's being presented. And the first part, he says, you need to be prepared. Don't look at other people and say, now those are the bad people, and I'm a good person. He says, look at this person who has been dominated by sin, has been dominated by Satan, and there was liberation in the gospel. He says, it's really important that you recognize the kingdom of God is powerful and it gives great hope because you see, though I am little and though I'm insignificant, I'm a little seed, I'm a little leaven, I'm a little gate that God uses, but the, the fact is not in the seed or in the leaven, the, the power is in what the, what the gospel does in a person's life. Let's go a little bit further. We also see the power of the gospel over threats. In verse 31, we see the concern for Jesus' safety. And it appears that the Pharisees were genuine. Get thee out and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And I want you to notice Jesus' response, the rebuke to Herod. And Jesus said unto them, go ye and tell that fox. Now, in our society, we would say crafty as a fox, crazy like a fox. In other words, the person really can do a lot of things. Maybe that was what was said, but the reality was in Jesus's time, a fox was insignificant. If you called someone fox, they were insignificant. And what Jesus is, I believe what Jesus is telling him here, he says, Herod, you have built your whole life trying to see how significant you are. The great temple that Herod built, all these different things. And the reality was Jesus was saying, Herod, you're insignificant. And that was not a mean slam. That was a kind statement because Herod needed to realize what he was. It was a stinging yet kind response. And in verse 32, he says, I have a task to be done. He says, behold, I cast out devils and do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. What he was saying is, I have a short amount of time to get everything done that I'm going to do, and then my time's going to be done. He said, I'm not going to be detoured by this insignificant person, though we know that this insignificant person could kill. The point was, there's a short time. Your task is going to be done. I want you to see the heart of the Savior here as we conclude this chapter, and that is this. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how oft would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. I want you to notice Jesus' response as he is there in Jerusalem, and this will be the last time this is the last time in Scripture that we ever read that he was in a synagogue. It's the last time that he's going to be in Jerusalem until he comes to be taken and crucified. He'll be for the triumphal entry, and he'll be taken straight. And then we're going to find that week he'll be crucified. And rather than being angry, he was sorry for their sad state. He had an honest assessment of their situation. They had had many prophets, they had had many warnings, and they had rejected them all. Notice his desire. He said, how oft would I have gathered thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings. Why does a hen gather the brood under the wings? To protect them. Doesn't that tell you about our Savior? What was his desire for all these people who were going to murder him? I want to protect you. I don't want you to go through what you're about to go through. It tells you the heart of our Savior. You know, sometimes we get this idea that God is a mean, vengeful God. No, God's a holy God. 
And he cannot look on sin. He cannot overlook sin. He cannot tolerate sin. But he's gracious and he is loving. You know, if we don't put it together, we miss the whole point. And that is, I want you to see the whole book of Luke shows the compassion of Jesus Christ. And how as his people, he wants us to be compassionate. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. One of my favorite proverb sections he says let not mercy and truth forsake you bind them about your neck write them on the table of your heart so will you find favor and good understanding in the sight of god and man here we see jesus christ perfectly fulfilling this compassion and yet truthfulness you know people have to know the truth but they need to know that we care when you go to someone's door, it's not wrong to go to someone's door, to knock on the door and say, if you died tonight, you know where you'd go. It's not wrong to do that. But there ought to be a tear in your eye when you say it. If we have no compassion, we have skewed the gospel. We have no compassion. We've skewed the gospel. We've given people a wrong impression of our God.